Welcome to Ozark Natural Foods, the co-op podcast featuring stories and information about the largest food co-op in Arkansas. Based in Fayetteville and serving all of Northwest Arkansas, the co-op has been around for 50 plus years, providing community and encouraging a love of food that is good for us and our planet. Learn our history and standards of quality. Meet our co-op members, employees, and vendors, and understand why being locally focused is vital to our food, products, and economy. The co-op has leveraged cooperative economics here in Northwest Arkansas to bring the freshest and the best food to our whole community. Listen to Ozark Natural Foods, the co-op podcast today to learn why. Welcome to the ONF Co-op Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and we have a great episode in store for you today. We are sitting down with Mike Anzalone to learn more about his history and background with the Ozark Natural Foods Co-op, and more importantly, what it's been like to be the general manager here at Ozark Natural Foods. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Good, good. First thing I want you to do is I want you to tell our audience just a little bit about yourself and how you got connected with the co-op. And I know you have some history with the co-ops. I'm eager to learn more about that. Yeah, I do. I have some, some, it goes way back. When I was a kid, uh, we lived in Russellville and we lived in Greenwood and co-op was still very new, but my mom was sort of new to the health food industry and she was really interested in finding better food than was available at the time. And so she used to drive up, I think it was probably 81 or 82. She would drive up from Russellville and then from Greenwood. And it was just to buy brown rice and yogurt. And somehow she had found out about how much more nutritious brown rice is than white rice. And uh, nobody knew what yogurt was. <laughs> and people thought she was crazy, but she would do that. She would drive all the way up. And that was our introduction to our food co-op. Yeah. And so you didn't, I mean, did she, so she didn't even know what a co-op was before that. I don't even think she knew about the business model. Yeah. I think she just knew that this was the one place that she could get those things. And she would drive up about once a month and pick up those items and go back down. And probably, she probably picked up a couple other things, but those were the two main things was she knew that yogurt was healthy for you. And she knew that rice was a better alternative. And so that's what she did. She was willing to make that drive up once a month so that we could have these things in our diet. And, you know, as the years went by, she became more and more involved in the health food movement and whatever was the most, the latest information about healthy food, she was always up on that. And so our, as she learned, our diets changed and it all started, it all started at our co-op. Wow. When you think, when you think of it, I mean, today we kind of take for granted how easy it is to drive down to Russellville, but this was pre Bobby Hopper tunnel. (laughs) So, so it was, I mean, you had to really want to come to the co-op to drive from Russellville up to Fayetteville. From Russellville, she was probably taking the pig trail. Yes, absolutely. from Greenwood, she was, she was probably taking old 71. Sure. And neither of those were for the faint of heart. Right. (laughs) That was a tough drive. That's my understanding. So, well, I mean, I, I think that's like the perfect introduction to the whole co-op business model. And you ended up after matriculating through college and and prep school and everything, you ended up at in a grocery store environment. Yeah, that's right. So I left Arkansas right before my senior year Mm -hmm. 
and I finished my education in, in Massachusetts and then moved to the West Coast for many years. And while I was there, one of the jobs that I had for quite a while was working with Trader Joe's. Yeah. Um, I was with them for four or five years. And when my son turned 11, I ended up getting full custody of him. We were living in Los Angeles at the time. And I didn't really want to raise him in Los Angeles. I wanted to raise him at home. So we moved back to Arkansas and he, he loved it. He, it was, it was great for him. Yeah. I just wasn't quite sure what I was going to do here. And so I was, you know, sort of lumbering around trying to find, you know, what job I would find that would be fulfilling. And, and then I heard about this retail manager position at Ozark Natural Foods. I didn't even put the two together that that was the place my mom used to go when I was a kid. It just seemed like a good fit. It was a very small local grocery store. I had, you know, this half a decade worth of grocery experience at that point. And I thought it might be good temporarily. At the time, I planned on, when, when I was hired, I planned on staying with the co-op for a year. And <laughs> as it turns out, about a week from now will be my 16th year at the co-op. Wow. And so I got to imagine how quickly, once you actually got into the co-op, did it click that this was the same place? Because by the time your mom started going to the co-op, the co-op had been in existence for about a decade. I would imagine, because it started in 71. You said somewhere in the early 80s. Yeah. That's about a decade. Then you go off to school, you come back, you end up in Northwest Arkansas, and you are you take a job with the co-op. Mm-hmm. And then it all clicked for you? Yeah, it took, a, I would say, like a year or so before my mom and I put the pieces together. And Really? Then, that long? Yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't really thinking about yeah, I you know, you. yogurt and brown rice when That's I funny. started my new job. But somewhere in the first year, she had sort of asked about the history of the co-op and I told her some about it. And she said, that's the store I used to go to <laughs> when, when you were a kid. And you know, the, the thing that I think about when you say that is that because it had moved a number of times. It did. Yeah. So I would imagine that when you got there, it was in the new location, the recent new location, which would have been Evelyn Hills Plaza. Yeah. When I started, we were in Evelyn Hills. Okay. Okay. When she was going there, we were, the co-op was sharing a building with the Ozark Cooperative Warehouse. And even though those names are very similar, those were two very separate businesses. The, okay. the warehouse was a, a wholesale organization and Ozark Natural Foods was a retail organization. And our co-op, you know, got most of the products that we sold from their co-op. Sure. So it was a it was a, a, a good and interesting, you know, cooperative relationship. What happened to the Ozark Cooperative Warehouse? From what I understand, it was Y2K. They had some struggles. They they had a dif- uh, difficult time getting products being so small. Yeah. And some of the natural food warehouses were really sort of growing and gobbling up other small regional warehouses. But from what I understand, what really put them under was... When the year 2000 was coming, there was, I have to explain this for people who weren't around then. Oh, I know. Yeah. There was this little weird computer thing that people thought everything was going to end when we went from 1999 to 2000. We thought we were going to be shuttled back to prehistoric times right after (laughs) after the stroke of midnight. (laughs) Nobody knew what was going to happen because all the clocks were going to reset. And, you know, banks were concerned that, you know, that uh, bank accounts were going to be closed and all this stuff was going on. But a lot of the people, especially people in the back to land movement, they really thought that they should hunker down for something sort of catastrophic. Yeah. And so a bunch of people bought a lot of bulk food 
And so that was really good for the warehouse because they just basically sold out their inventory in the months leading up to the year 2000. And as it turned out, nothing happened. Yeah. Uh, you know, a couple clocks started blinking and, you know, whatever. There would be really nothing happened. Life just kept going. But they ran out of customers. All mm. their regular customers had bought six months to a year worth of food and they weren't really in a financial position to deal with not having any income for several months. And so they went under. Now, this is just a retelling of a retelling. So mm -hmm. I don't know. You'd have to talk to someone from the warehouse to get the real. Yeah. But <laughs> from what I understand, that's what happened is they sold a bunch of food, uh, a bunch of wholesale food to people, to all their regular customers for the months leading up. And then business dried up and they couldn't quite hang on until people ate all that food. Yeah. So at that point, for the co-op itself, again, you were in a, what would be termed a more traditional retail setting there at Evelyn Hills. Yes. yes so time. when I got there, right. it was just a grocery store. Right. You know, they had several little funky places that were, as we were growing, that were really fun. There was, of course, the place I just mentioned. The first place that they had was the very back of High Roller Cyclery. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. If you drive up the street and you pass them, you can actually see where there used to be a doorway in the back of High Roller Cyclery that's now bricked in, but it's still visible. And it was just 10 feet wide and 12 or 15 feet long. And it's when they had just become a co-op. They had just moved out of being a buying club and they stored things there and they would sell products out of the back of the cyclery. And then they moved. Now, I might get some of the moves here wrong, but as far as I can remember, they moved in with the warehouse, which was right across the street from Scarpino's, where Scarpino's is, yes. and Arcega's Depot. And then they moved across the street to a place that was right next to Scarpino's. It doesn't exist any longer, but there's still like a little bit of the brick wall left <laughs> attached to Scarpino's. And so you can see where the co-op was there. Then they moved over to Rock Street, and that little house is right across the street from Fayetteville Police Department. Right. I know where that and is. And they were there. And then sort of their biggest and most <clears throat> visible, when the co-op really started to catch the attention of people other than, you know, 70s hippies and back to landers, right. was when they moved to Dixon Street. Okay. And it's now, I believe... It's Puritan Coffee Shop. Yeah. It's, it it's, it's right across from um, the, the French Antique Place. Yeah, yeah. So it's right there on Dixon Street, just a little bit down from Collier's Drugs. Yes. 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 That, opposite side of the street. Yep. Yeah. That was a co-op for quite a while. And people right. loved it there. Yeah. There was no parking. So it was right. very difficult for them to <laughs> keep things going. But I guess they made a lot of carrot juice there. And, you know, it was just a tiny store, but people just absolutely loved the co-op when it was there. But they outgrew the space pretty quickly. Each each of those locations, the problem was that they were just getting more business than the location could handle. And so yeah. they they decided to move. And the move to Evelyn Hills was a very, very big move. I mean, if you've been in that location, that sales floor is 20,000 square feet. It's a... Um, and what I think a lot of people don't realize is that there was like another 20,000 square feet downstairs. Yeah. So the whole upstairs is about 20, 25, 26,000 square feet. And then there's a basement <laughs> that matches that footprint. Which I didn't realize until I was invited to the basement and I saw it. I was like, oh my God, this thing is huge. 
It was so. huge and it was kind of scary. Like only half the <laughs> it lights was. worked. And there <laughs> it were definitely was. There were all these old offices that were still there and yeah. and a lot of walls and you know, it gotten kind of musty and finally we ended up gutting it all because it was just kind of a hazard to have down there. But we never ran a business out of there other than our feed store that we started. That building was just way too big for us. Yeah. But it was it was a pretty big jump from Dixon Street to Evelyn Hills and it almost sunk the co-op. We were about two weeks away from declaring bankruptcy and closing the doors. What year was that? That was oh two maybe. Okay. It was okay. right before I got there. Yep. They just went through some hard times. They couldn't quite get enough business in the door to justify that kind of space. And so they really struggled. What turned things around? Well, the general manager at the time I've never met her. And so again, this is, and this was before my time there, but from what I understand, she just became a little overwhelmed with uh, the pressure and decided to leave. And I think she moved back to Arizona or something. And the prior general manager, Allison Land, from what I understand, she just appointed herself the new general manager and just said, this co-op is not going down. We're going to save it. Sure. And so she got some help from some local people and she just scrimped and saved and, you know, found ways to make deals just to get food in the back door and, you know, just really paid close attention on what was coming in and what was going out. We had no credit. It was all just cash on delivery, cash on delivery at that point. But she was just very tenacious and put together a small team of people who just would not let this thing go under. And by the time I came in 06, it had started to make some strides, like we were paying our bills, we weren't near bankruptcy any longer, sales were growing. Was uh, the membership growing at that point? A little bit, yep. Yeah. It, was, it was growing a little bit. It was still very small, though. When I came in 06, at the very end of 06, we were almost up to $7 million in revenue. Okay. And so that was kind of the level where it could be self-sustaining. You know, they did what a lot of businesses do when they moved to a bigger building. They hired a bunch of people. Yeah. And so all that payroll was very, was, you know, really taxing. And I believe they had to lay off quite a few people and just get it down to sort of a skeleton crew. And it was, when I got there, it was, it was kind of fun because no one was just doing their job, you know, mm-hmm. and I put up the finger quotes, their job. You would have a title, but you would also be doing six other things, you know, like the human resources manager was also producing the newsletter and also managed the front end. And, you know, and it was like- So it was all hands on deck, It was. Everybody was just doing everything that had to be done and just coming to work, knowing that all we're doing is we're keeping the place open and we're going to make sure this thing succeeds. And we're not confined by our titles. We're not confined by- Whatever normal people think at their job is their job. <laughs> yeah. Everybody was doing everything. And so, I mean, okay, so you got there in 06. When did you have a real, like, appreciation for the co-op model, right? And in, in, in the sense of what, when did you start to really, you know, kind of get your arms around the co-op model and how it existed within the confines of, of Ozark Natural Foods? It took one year. Okay. So when I took the job, I had also, when I moved back to Arkansas, I was writing for this fledgling magazine and the woman who owned it and was the editor, she said, look, I can't pay you to write these articles. 
but I will be able to pay you in a year. In a year, if you find a job and you can just get by for a year, I'll put you on salary and we'll do this thing together. And so I I found the job at the co-op and I thought, this is good because I know that I can help this store. And when I leave, I won't feel bad about, you know, leaving after a year because I know that it's going to be a better place when I leave. They'll have better systems in place and I can bring all that Trader Joe's experience here to help them run better. Yeah. And and then I'll slip off and I'll do this magazine thing and, you know, I'll move forward with my career as a writer. And I was really lucky. I ended up sitting next to a guy named William Beaver. And at the time, he was the ownership coordinator or I can't remember what his title was, but his job was to be an advocate for the membership. And so he was very active with the board, but he was very passionate about the cooperative business model. Yeah. And he would often interrupt me when I would just say like, you know, look, it's a store. We're just, we're selling food. And, we're, and he would say, it's not just a store. It's a cooperative. And we happen to sell groceries. And I heard that over and over. And it used to be very frustrating because the cooperative business model moves a little slower than traditional corporations because we always have to take the time to think about our membership. And for years and years, we called it the ownership, but now we call it the membership. And the thing that we have to remember is that just because we work there doesn't mean we own it. Yeah. The people who shop there own it. The people who are the members, they're the people who own it. And so that's the aspect of it that I became really interested in and that made me after a year say like, you know what? I'm not going to do that magazine thing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to work for the community and I'm going to help build this business. And it was just because I don't think that if I had sat, if I had sat next to someone other than William who always took the time to very patiently correct me <laughs> and teach me about why this business model is important, I think I would have left. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, and it just gave you a whole new perspective, right? I mean, you came out of a Trader Joe's model, you come into a cooperative model. And at, at what point did the co-op become, the food co-op become the largest food co-op in the state of Arkansas. Do you know that? Yeah, immediately, because we're the only food co-op okay. in the state of Arkansas. Okay. <laughs> so that makes it easy. Even when we were in the back street, in the back side, <laughs> uh, back side of uh, the cyclery, we were already the biggest food co-op in the state of Arkansas. Okay. So one of one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. I yeah. love that. Well, it's grown over the years, right? Because, I mean, you think of when you got there, I don't know how many members there were at that time, but. I mean, we're up to currently, as of the date of recording this in December of 2022, we are up to almost, what, almost 13,000 members. 13 and a half, yeah. 13 and a half, yeah. I don't yeah. want to shortchange it, so. Yeah, that is yeah. for sure the largest membership we've ever had. Yeah. I wonder if the That's people exciting. that started the co-op back in 71 envisioned it being that large. I mean, there's some pictures on the website that anybody can see at, at onf.coop if you want to see some of the pictures of some of the early folks that started the co-op. Yeah. I wonder if they had envisioned it getting to the size that it is now. It's so yes is the answer, but it was so scrappy <laughs> in the beginning. When I spoke to one of the very early general managers of the store and he told me that one of the benefits of him being the general manager was that he was allowed to live on the roof. Oh. <laughs> and so I think this is when they were sharing the building with the warehouse or maybe when they were attached to the Scarpinos building. I'm not exactly sure what that building looked like, but he had a tent up there and like, that's where he lived. He lived up there and then he would come down and work during the day. 
And I saw him about three or four months ago, and I just asked him what he thought. You know, I mean, some of the people who've been around since the 70s love the new building. Some of them don't like it at all. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the new building in a minute. I was just yeah, okay. I was just curious to get that insight there. So. Yeah. He was super excited, though. And he said, you know, there was a time that we used to sit around as board members and as and as employees, employees. And we would talk about how one day we would love to have a store just like Safeway. And that's the old IGA and that's the building (laughs) that we currently inhabit. Yeah. And he's like, you got to be really careful what you wish for. Right. Because here it is all these years later and we finally have that exact building and it's way better. It's way better than it was. But that was the goal. The goal was to really grow it into a legitimately sized business and that they would really all be really proud of. And lo and behold, we ended up right there where they where they had hoped to be. And when you think about it, though, it's almost like it was almost a fait accompli, right? When in terms of the evolution of the co-op, because, you know, at the time, I mean, you couldn't have imagined. I mean, you had these smaller companies that were slowly hitting the national stage. And when I say companies, I'm speaking specifically of Whole Foods and other grocery stores that looked like a co-op, but weren't quite a co-op or that were not structured that way. And I think it's like at some point in time, you had to decide whether you were going to either cut bait or you were going to dig in and try to make something happen. And and clearly the co-op doubled down and said, hey, we're going to have to figure out a way to run with you know, some of these bigger organizations like Whole Foods, which is now part of Amazon. And I mean, they have an endless supply of capital and resources. You have natural grocers, you have a number and you have, you know, your old company, Trader Joe's. Mm-hmm. And all of these businesses are making their their inroads in communities across the country. And there are a lot of co-ops like the co-op that are, you know, struggling to maintain relevance and to fight for market share in those areas. Yeah. You know, Whole Foods in particular, when they started, they really had the same feel as the co-ops and mom and pop grocery stores. And that's because John Mackey came from the co-op world. Yeah, He tried doing grocery through the cooperative business model. And then at one point he just decided that he just wanted to go out and do it on his own. And obviously he was very successful, but I think that's one of the reasons that it's been so difficult for co-ops to stay in the game in the shadow of Whole Foods yeah, is because he so intimately understood the co-op business model and took the best elements of it and then, you know, just corporatized the rest yeah, of it. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. But he, he understood why people loved those early food co-ops and he was able to use that to his advantage. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I mean, I think about it and every now and then I do go in there and I'm a prime member with Amazon. So you do get some benefits with that, but I'm loyal to the co-op and I, I try to spend as much as, as many of my dollars as I can at the co-op. And and I recognize that there are a lot of people that are like that, right? That are yeah. very conscious of where their money is going yes. and whose pockets it's going into. And so I think it's important for people listening to this to recognize that, you know, the one of the greatest benefits of a co-op and specifically of our co-op is the simple fact that it is supporting the local marketplace, the right. local vendors, the local farmers, obviously everybody that's employed. I mean, every, you know, the dollar gets recirculated in our community multiple times. Whereas like at Whole Foods and at a lot of other grocery stores, say for maybe Harps, I guess, you know, that dollar doesn't get circulated in our community as much. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, you know, that's really 
I believe that's the reason I've ended up making my career here and not just sort of passing through is this idea that this business, it's not mine. Yeah. I, you know, if the co-op does great, I don't get rich. If the co-op does poor, I don't go broke. I'm just there. I do my job, but it's because it's owned by the community that I, I love it so much. And that is really in line with my social views. I love this idea that we're, that I'm not working for a large publicly traded corporation. Nothing against them. They, you know, they have a place just like everyone else. But when people come in and decide to become a member of the co-op, they get one share in that co-op, just yeah. like everyone else has one share in it. And so we're all in it together. And the values of the co-op are driven by the values of the community, by the values of the people who are a part of that membership. And, you know, it's changed over the years. It's, it hasn't been stagnant. They didn't write the Articles of Incorporation in 1971. And then uh, we still have the exact same values and do the do it and run the store the same way. And it's changed. And so each generation gets to sort of pick up this legacy and become the new steward of it and carry it on for however long they want to and then pass it on to the next generation. And just in the short amount of time that I've been there, I've seen people, young people that I've hired, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. And then, you know, they finish school and they get into their careers and they have kids and now their kids are working at the co-op. And yeah. I, you know, I've, once you start to see that sort of generational flip and you see like, wow, this is, is happening in real time, just generation after generation taking responsibility for this store that's owned by us neighbors. You yeah. Know? It's really amazing. I think it is. I think it is. And I, I think one of the things that I, maybe a lot of people don't know is that you know, obviously the co-op has standards of quality mm -hmm. with regard to everything that they that they look at. And even on your website, it says we evaluate every product that the co-op sells with your health in mind. We stand behind the principle of not carrying genetically modified foods in the store. And then even the website goes on to list all of the products sold at Ozark Natural Foods are free of all kinds of things, artificial preservatives, artificial colors, artificial flavors, artificial sweeteners, chemical additives. Added MSG, non-irradiated, organically grown and locally sourced whenever possible. In this day and age of food production, how difficult is it to maintain this? That's really hard because they change the language all the time. Yeah. They can call one chemical something this week and next week they call it something different. And so we have to be really diligent. Of course, the best way to get the healthiest food yeah. is to get to know your local farmers who grow either organic or certified naturally grown or natural and just ask them, you know, how they raise their cattle, how they raise their pigs, how they raise their chicken, what goes into their, you know, their egg producers diets. And it just, it cuts out all the shenanigans because you just meet the guy or the gal and you just say like, how do you, Oh, I love the way you grow your chickens, right, you know? Right. And then you just know. Cage-free, farm fresh. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I mean, always the local farmer is the best way to go. It means that your food hasn't traveled from China or from Central or South America or even halfway across the country. It's really the best way in general. I mean, organics is good for humans, but it's also good for the planet. Right. Like, we're not poisoning the soil. We're not poisoning the water table. And then when you step that up to local organic or local certified naturally grown, then it hasn't, you know, 
been placed on a steamer ship that you know takes it a steamer ship do they still have steamer ships? yeah I don't steamer. Know. that's fine we is. get the idea we, we understand what you're saying so, i don't even know if i'm old it doesn't to have the steamer ship i know it doesn't have to travel as far to get to your table right it comes 10 miles right you know in the back of someone's pickup truck and then it goes you know to your house and that reduction in energy and that reduction in oil consumption and the freshness of that product because you know it's picked one day and it's on your table the next day that's really the, the best way and you know we don't see the local farmers market as competition we love the local farmers market but these are the two ways you can do that is either go to the farmers market or go to your local food co-op yeah yeah i mean it's and again i think it's exciting to see that that you know co-ops in general are still finding their place in the market and are, are still remaining relevant. I mean, of course, there are always going to be challenges to that, but, you know, Ozark Natural Foods, I mean, just a couple of years ago, you guys decided to move from Evelyn Hills. You found a new location and decided to, as I like to say, double down on a new opportunity to continue to take the arc of the co-op and grow it yeah. in a different way. You got closer to downtown Fayetteville. You were totally ensconced firmly at the corner of Lafayette and North College, right in the heart of of the downtown Fayetteville neighborhood yeah. there, the historic district. What went into the the decision to do that? And how tough was it to make that move from Evelyn Hills to the corner of Lafayette and North College? So as Whole Foods and Natural Grocers and Sprouts and all the rest of them were sort of taking over for about 15 years, the industry that really was created by co-ops and small mom and pop health food stores across the country, a lot of co-ops went under. Yeah. And for a little while, we saw from co-ops just this idea of like, how do we just survive? How yeah. do we just survive? And then it started to change. And a handful of us started saying, forget that. We still want to thrive. It's fine. Those stores can open, but we have something different to offer. And we're not going to, you know, go gently into the night. We are going to fight and we are going to stay relevant. And uh, the way we're going to stay relevant is by continuing to offer the best food that we can and making people understand why the cooperative business model is so important to a community, but also do just a better job as grocers, like have a something that is not just appealing to you know, the 60s and 70s generation, but really be appealing to multi-generations. And so m several years before Whole Foods and Natural Grocers showed up at our backyard, we ran scenarios and we talked about strategies on how do we survive in the shadow of Whole Foods. And we used to pretend what happens if they buy out the property across the street from us and they open one of those huge Whole Foods right across the street from us. How do we make sure that there is still a thriving food co-op in our community. And I would say seven or eight years in a row, we did that. And so we ran strategies and we came up with a plan based on those strategies and we implemented that strategy. And I mean, when Whole Foods and Natural Grocers opened, we took a thumping. We lost 40% of our business. And I don't really know many businesses that could suddenly lose 40% of their business and keep their doors open, but we did. And it was a very serious struggle. It was a tight plan for many years to be prepared for it. And once they got here, it was also a serious struggle. I'm very proud to say that our co-op never laid off anyone. Our co-op never 
cut any benefits to any employees, and we still managed to keep our doors open. And as we got through that period where it was just a matter of keeping the doors open to the period where we were starting to improve and get better and then start thinking, okay, now what's our next step? It was tough. It was <laughs> like every day was a new day to come in and say like, okay, we're going to stay open. And uh, we did. And a lot of that is just that being a co-op, we just had a lot of loyal owners who had seen this thing go for years and years and thought about it and, you know, made the decision. Am I going to give my money to a big national corporation that's now part of an international corporation? Or am I going to continue to support these people who are farmers? They are, you know, young people who have their jobs there, other people who have their careers there, and all the other people who are members of this co-op, which one am I going to support? And they supported us. They stuck with us through that really difficult time. And then we got to a point where we're like, okay, now it's time for us to make a move. And we did. Hmm. And it was, I mean, it was, it was the perfect move in, in a lot of ways when you think of the simple fact that, I mean, I think a lot of things were transforming at Evelyn Hills, maybe not for the better with mm -hmm. regard to the co-op itself. And so, you know, finding a place that would, A, offer you the space that you needed and also be super convenient for people. I always said when you guys were at Evelyn Hills, one of the challenges was that, that unless you knew the co-op was there, you would just keep driving by. Yeah, that's true. And nowadays, if you're driving north on North College towards like downtown, towards the square of Fayetteville, and you pass by that corner of Lafayette, you can't help but see the co-op. Yeah. And if you go in the other direction, you can't help but see the beautiful chairs and patio and TV and heaters and everything that kind of welcomes you to a space where, you know, everyone has a place to sit down and, and, and relax and, and take it all in. So it's a very striking building. It is. We did not take an old grocery store and just put a new name on the front of it. Yeah. Like we really changed the nature of that building. And, you know, Modus, they were our architects. They were pretty bold in the design. We spent a lot of time working on the floor plan. I actually went to Seattle and spent a few weeks with a floor planning guy up there. And we looked at dozens of grocery stores. And I've been to so many food co-ops that I <laughs> tried to implement a lot of the little things that I saw that I really liked about a lot of different food co-ops. And, you know, Modus just took that floor plan and, and turned it into such that striking building. I mean, we came in second place in, there's a magazine called Architecture Magazine. Yeah. It's a national competition. It was a national competition. And our grocery store won second place. It was unbelievable. <laughs> well, I mean, that speaks volumes to Demotus. I mean, they, they are no slouches when it comes to architectural design. They are a locally owned company right here in Fayetteville. Chris Barabo and Leanne Barabo and, and, and the rest of their team are out, absolutely outstanding. And hopefully we'll, we'll have them on the podcast as well to talk about just the whole process of the design, right? Because it's yeah. not a it's not a normal building. It's not a building where you walk in a central area. It's you know you actually enter from a side, the side of the building, which I think mm -hmm. is kind of cool. So you almost have to reorient yourself to the way that the building's set up. But once you get in, you realize you're like, oh man, this is this is totally different. This is unlike anything that you normally experience. It is very different. You know, we were really lucky because the Barabos. So Chris and Leanne, Leanne, as you know, is uh, one of our board members now. Sure. They're very loyal co-op shoppers. They have been for many years. And so 
I think there might have been a little barrier trying to explain to someone, just an architect who we chose, about what it means to be a co-op, about what our store is about. They already knew. They were all in before I ever even met them. And so when we started talking about elements that I'd like to bring and understanding the, the idea that this is owned by the members, it's owned by the people who shop here. And it really gave us a leg up because we had a common dialogue already because they had just been a part of it for a long time and they loved it. Yeah. I mean, other than board meetings, I see Leanne all the time. She's yeah. always shopping in the co-op. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think that's another good point about it is that, you know, just the simple fact of the choice of the location and the real estate that you chose, you know, of course, we're not renting the place. It's it's yeah. the co-op owns that. That's right. All the members own that space. I don't think that's a lot right. of times people realize that, but it bears repeating. That, you know, we're there for the long haul and there will be long-term opportunities that the co-op will benefit from because of some of the decision-making that you and the board undertook several years ago that will exist beyond your time here at the co-op. That's right. Yep. We have a very valuable asset right there on a major intersection (laughs) in Fayetteville, in downtown Fayetteville. And I don't own it. Right. We own it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, man, there's just so much. What I did want to ask you, uh, a couple of things that I, I know that you are involved with is the simple fact that you're not kind of sitting in a vacuum making decisions about how things go within the co-op because you also, you you seek counsel in a number of ways. Obviously, the board is your primary counsel, and then there's a lot of experts in the co-op space, but then you also interact with a lot of GMs around the country that are also part of co-ops. Yeah, that's right. And I'd love for you just to kind of just quickly talk about that and how that informs some of your decision making, the way you look at things that you're dealing with on a regular basis. And even right now, as we're recording this, you know, we happen to be dealing with some inflationary challenges Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, you know, this recording will last for years, but at the time of recording this in December of 2022, Groceries couldn't be more expensive. <laughs> no, that's right. that's right. And it's a challenge, right? But I know that you are interacting with a lot of your peers around the country that are also dealing with a lot of the same issues. And I'd be curious to just have you speak quickly to how that has helped you in your decision making and also in some of the ways that you have modified some of the processes here within the co-op. Yeah. So just for a little explanation. Our co-op is a member of another co-op called National Co-op Grocers. Right. And that's NCG about- NCG for short. Yeah, NCG. And that's about 250 stores across the country. Now, some of those co-ops have two, three locations, and there's even one called PCC that has- uh, They're huge. Yeah, they have 17 locations, I believe. They're what we all strive to be. <laughs> but- so we all get together many ways. We get together through uh, Zoom meetings and and uh, we have two annual meetings where all the GMs in the country get together and we end up being peers with all these different co-ops. And we're all in the same situation. You know, we're not a traditional corporation where some corporate offices tell us how we're going to react in the market and tell us what we're going to do and sends us new procedures and have legal teams to write you know, all that stuff that they have, it's usually just a bunch of us who there's one GM, one store, and we're doing the best we can, but we have this opportunity to learn from each other. And we exchange all of our data. There's a a database that has all of our financials in them, and we pass those around essentially to tell each other 
this is how we're doing and, you know, this is how much we've grown and this is what our margin's like and this is what our labor's like and all these things. It makes benchmarking easier. It does. Yeah. It does. And so then we get to speak to each other like, oh, I saw that you have, you know, that you grew sales by like seven and a half percent this year. How did you do that? And so we really help each other. And, you know, when you're young co-op and you just having questions like, how do you get your staff to clock in on time? Or, you know, you have these really highly technical questions about, you know, like the finer art of making margin and still being able to support sales and things like that. You have all these people, all these resources to go to and just kick ideas around. And so the organization is not just peer group. They also have a lot of training programs. And so as our organization is growing and as our co-ops are growing, NCG is also growing and they're becoming better and better at providing help to GMs, providing help to boards of director, directors of boards, and on the technical aspects of uh, running a, a small grocery store. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, I, it has to be helpful because I, I know that, that uh, you know, there's always safety in numbers when it comes to counsel and when it comes to kind of seeing, you know, what, how things are out in the marketplace. Yeah. So that's really beneficial. Yeah. It's a great organization. Yeah. It's, oh, and I forgot the whole, <laughs> the biggest part of that organization is that collectively we purchase all of our food through UNFI. There you go. They hold our contract. And so we're not a single store buying from a large distributor. We're 250 locations buying from a single distributor. And that really uh, helps us to buy in that volume. We end up getting much better deals on our food. Well, it makes it more affordable and it also allows you to compete with much larger entities that, right. that have, you know, distribution centers all over the place. Yeah, right? That's right. So, yeah. I know we think of that because, I mean, we're kind of sitting in the shadow of Walmart, right? And, yeah. and so when you think of how retail operations are, we have our own version of that with NCG and UNFI. So, yeah. So it does, it does help the process. What are you most passionate or excited about for the future coming up? We're in a new space. The pandemic was a challenge for all of us. And if anything, I think one of the good things that did come out of the pandemic is that we ended up re-engaging with a whole new set of members and people that didn't really know about the co-op. And that one group that I'm talking about specifically are students. Yes. Students became acutely aware of the co-op because for the longest time when, the, when everything was shut down, the co-op was open and a lot of students couldn't go places on campus. They would come up to the co-op to study and grab coffee and grab a lunch or, I mean, you name it. And, you know, inadvertently, because of the pandemic, it reintroduced the co-op to a whole segment of the population, specifically in Fayetteville, because I mean, 30,000 plus students go to the University of Arkansas. Yeah. So that's a huge audience. But how did that impact? How did that impact the co-op? Well, for years, we struggled with that, right? So we've always known that there's this large resource, the university, but we had a very difficult time connecting with them. Yeah. We did very well with the baby boomer generation. They started us, they stuck with us. And through all those changes and all the difficult times that we had, the boomer generation really, really stayed with the co-op. But we noticed that it was becoming, as generations moved along, it was becoming more and more difficult to connect with Gen X, then Gen Z, then millennials, uh, or millennials, then Gen Z. And 
we weren't quite sure how we were going to do it, but we knew that it was going to be necessary if we if there was going to be real longevity to the co-op. Yeah. And so when we moved to the new location, it was very obvious that we needed a place where people could feel comfortable to just come and hang out. And we were thinking specifically, students come, bring their laptop, drink some coffee, and just hang out. Just make the co-op the place where people come and sit and meet with their neighbors. And it, that was very difficult in Evelyn Hills. We had a very, very small seating area. We had an outdoor seating area, but you know, it was adjacent to a parking lot and the sun would just roast you if you were there in the middle of the day. <laughs> right, It was right. brutal. And so one of the main things that I had talked about with Chris and Leanne was that we wanted to have more than enough space where a lot of people could come and just hang out at the food co-op. And so the location, obviously, you know, it's just two blocks away from, from the university, but then the patio and the interior, the, the coffee shop and the, and the in, in, inside seating area gave people plenty of room. I remember talking to Ryan, our IT manager, when he was sort of talking about what we wanted to do with our Wi-Fi and, you know, how we could sort of cut corners a little bit. I was like, we're not cutting any corners. <laughs> Imagine there's a hundred people. They're all on Netflix. Right. Like we want everybody to right. be able to have right. great internet access so that they can just come and do whatever they want to do. And so we put all those elements together, but then uh, Lisa, our marketing manager, she worked with Black Box Labs on rebranding. Mm -hmm. uh, we really felt that we wanted to change our brand, make it more accessible. We really loved the idea of branding as the co-op yep. so that we could m create a new curiosity about the cooperative business model and something that would be simpler then Ozark Natural Foods, or a lot of people called us ONF. Yeah. But then nobody knows what ONF means unless you're on, on the inside. We wanted to really open up our brand so that it would reach multiple generations and it would also spark some curiosity. And so we went with the co-op and, you know, new logos, just, you know, it just changed everything, you know, a whole new brand guide. And the work between those two companies, between Black Box and Modus, the symbiosis between the brand and the new building just worked out incredibly. And it so did. it's so eye-catching and it's there on the street corner and, you know, that sort of chopped off corner with entry that has the sign that says everyone welcome and it's facing that intersection, which is the second busiest intersection in, in Fayetteville. It's just so inviting. It just pulls you in. And, you know, we went through that Genesis. And we we are still Ozark Natural Foods. We are still that same little buying club that started in the 70s. But we are also co-op, this great place to come and buy healthy food and hang out with your neighbors and enjoy the sunshine in a swing. And yeah, it's we've I'm just I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of what we what we've built. Yeah. So and I want to ask you this one question because you know, you said everyone welcome. And I know one of the challenges that our co-op, as well as a lot of co-ops face because of the rising cost of food, is how do we get everyone through the doors of the mm -hmm. co-op to make sure that they have access to all of the great food, all of the great resources, all of the great products that we have available within the four walls of the, of the co-op building? Yeah. So the idea was to just offer a bunch of different stuff. Right. So even the way the building is, is designed, you just have all these choices. And so you can come there for multiple reasons. You don't have to come there to fill your grocery cart. Even as you enter, 
you don't even have to enter. You can just go to the right and go to the patio and get a beer and or a coffee and a scone or whatever and just stay outside and just be outside if you want to. Or you can come inside, you can sort of go down prepared foods area and head off into the coffee shop and you can have a scone or a lunch or anything you want to have. Or, you know, on the other side of the building, we also have uh, the homestead, which has all those pet supplies and, you know, uh, gardening supplies and pots and plants and, and crystals and, you know, yeah. all those things. And I do know people who have come in and they just shop the homestead and, and they don't even realize that the grocery store is a part of the right, homestead. Right. And then, of course, we have just a full traditional grocery store where you can get everything you need from supplements to bulk foods, uh, fresh produce, any grocery items you want, housewares, all those sorts of things. We're getting very much into gifty items, you know, yeah. like it's just, the place is kind of exploding uh, thanks to the buying team with all these great stocking stuffers right now. And there's a little bit of a lot of things there to attract a lot of different people. And then when they get in to get those things, they say like, oh, wow, okay, I could, I could just eat lunch here if I wanted to. Or, sure. Oh, I can come here, you know, for happy hour and just have a few beers or a glass of wine. And so there's a lot of offerings there. Right. And so I, I get what you're saying. You're saying essentially that there is something for everyone at yeah. the co-op, both big and small. Like for some people, coming to the co-op means spending an hour or two shop doing all of their main grocery shopping. For some, it means just coming and grabbing a coffee and a vegan scone on a fair on a regular basis or something along those lines. But That's there right. is there is something for everybody that comes to the co-op. That's what the sign means. And you Ev even have everyone's sushi welcome. <laughs> so <laughs> we do. Yes. <laughs> we have we have incredible sushi. In incredible sushi, yeah. So there's a I mean, there is a little bit for everyone and, and you know, I don't know that any retail outlet is perfect in the sense that it covers every single thing. I mean, right? Because it's like how do you you know, it's kind of like that joke on the episode of Seinfeld, and, and I'm taking myself back now, but when George was working for the Yankees and he was responsible for figuring out the size of everybody's head on hat day for fitted hats, he was like, <laughs> how, how, how do I how do I account for every size head? You know, and it's hard to do, right? But you do the best that you can. That's right. In terms of trying to, to satisfy as many needs as possible. So we did our best, George Costanza. Right, exactly. Like right now, what I'm really excited about is apples. We have so many heritage apples right now. It's unbelievable. You know, we have the ones that we can get all year round. Yep. You know, the pink lady and, you know, and, and Macintosh and what's the green one? I never even get it anymore. Granny Smith. Yeah. The Granny Smith. Okay. But we have like all these heritage apples now. So it's like last week, I just bought my mom a dozen apples just because they were, there's so many of them. They're so good and they all taste different and delicious. And some of them are really sweet and some are really tart. I've probably had 60 apples in the last three weeks, <laughs> but you know, that's the kind of food that we're looking for. We're not really just looking to just click the box of the order guide. We're really trying to find a, a wide variety of healthy food that people can come in and be excited about. Plus, I don't think a lot of people realize that live here, and I didn't realize this in, until I started interviewing people over the past couple of years, but you know, apples were a huge staple here. Mm -hmm. Like historically, yeah, that's right. Like, we don't have as many, you know, apple places now. But you know, I came from New England before I moved here, and you know, apple picking was a big thing. But my understanding was that 
that Arkansas had a huge, huge apple farms and just all over the place. And I don't know if that's the whole state, but I know. No, no, it was. Yeah, it was not the whole state, but but they had enough where people took notice of it. So it's even how um, there's a company called Black Apple Cider, Mm -hmm. which they, you know, they took their name after that. And the simple fact that there were so many and they've actually Black Apple has funny enough, has made an investment into building more apple farms mm-hmm. so that they can resurrect some of what was here at the turn of the last century. That's cool. Yeah, it is. We cool. currently have some Arkansas blacks right now. Those right. Are, that's an amazing apple. It is an amazing it's, it's apple. Lovely. So yeah. And even and, Brightwater, Brightwater was an apple. Oh. Uh, that culinary school is named after a local apple called the Brightwater Brightwater Apple. You see, you learn something new every day. I did not know that. Now I have to write that down, but that's good to know. And I'm Man, sure I some, hope that's true now that I just well, said it. Well, I'm sure somebody listening, it sounds good. So we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll let it go with that. No, I, I'm sure somebody listening will, will be thankful for that information. So as we wind this up, because you, you have been really gracious with your time and regaling us with some, some really cool stories about the co-op, what are your hopes for the co-op for the next five to 10 years? I just want to see us grow. I don't want us to grow to the point that we lose our identity, but I want to, I, I would love to see the co-op grow enough that there's enough of us for anyone in Northwest Arkansas who wants to be a part of this co-op. Yeah. And so it's no secret. We had a public board meeting about the 10 year plan that I offered the board and the board's pretty enthusiastic about it. And even though it's had to slow because of the recession and we have to, you know, sort of regain our footing with what's going on in the industry at the moment. The plan is still the same. I would love to see three, possibly four satellite stores throughout Northwest Arkansas. And then I would love to see, and I, I love the idea of the satellite stores, but I'm even more passionate about the idea of building a, a fleet of mobile grocery stores that can get out into the rural areas where there is truly a food desert. I don't think people realize because of the abundance in Northwest Arkansas that there are food deserts very close to us. If you don't live right down the corridor yeah, and you just get a few miles east or west of us, it's very hard to get healthy food. And the farther you go out into the rural areas, into the counties, it's almost impossible to get healthy food unless you grow it yourself or unless you make a monthly trip into, you know, Northwest Arkansas, where you, into the corridor where you can go to one of the few stores. And I think it would be a, a fantastic symbiotic relationship with those rural communities because we could bring them the things that they needed and then the things that they have a surplus of, local gardens, you know, local farms that don't have the, the means to get into Fayetteville or get into Bentonville on a, a weekly basis. We can aggregate that food and bring it back to our community. And so we can bring them the things that they need. We can buy and redistribute the things that they have a surplus of. and it could help grow the food economy, but also their financial economy. And making those relationships and making those ties through food, that's just, that is the core of the mission of, yeah. of, our, of our cooperative. Yeah. And, and that would be huge, right? Because I mean, when you think back and we'll tie it back to the front part of the story where you, you shared about your mom coming up here from Russellville to get brown rice and yogurt. And now- it wasn't really a challenge for her, but for there are a lot of people that are right here in our backyard in Northwest Arkansas that can't get to Lafayette and North College. That's right. And satisfying that need. So people taking time to support, you know, give to the co-op through their buying dollars 
will actually go a long way in helping to bring to fruition some of these goals and plans to expand the footprint of the food that we offer and to certainly combat food insecurity That's right. uh, and food deserts that, you know, unfortunately the pandemic just really revealed. Yeah. It was like it took a, um, it just, it just pulled back the curtain and it was like, yeah, this is a real problem, even right here in our own backyard. Yeah. And how do we deal with it? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get too sidelined into the pandemic, but I think we all saw that our supply chain is very fragile and it's very fragile because it's so large and because everything that we get has to travel so far to get to people. Whereas building a strong local economy, a strong local food economy makes us very insulated to that. And the more that we can do, the more people that we can bring into our, into our cooperative, the more food that we can move from farm to store to household, the more secure our region is, the more secure our diets are, and the, the more we collectively own something that's more and more valuable. Absolutely. Well, Mike, if anybody after listening to this wants to just connect with you and, um, you know, maybe chat with you based on some of the things that you shared on this particular podcast, what's the best way for them to do that? Hey, they can do it however they want. They can email me. I'm Mike at ONF.COOP. You can call the store. If you just happen to be shopping and you just want to say hi, just ask for me. I'll come out to the sales floor. If you want to make an appointment and, you know, we really want to spend some time together, call. Let's make an appointment. We'll just hang out in my office. Any way they'd like to get in touch with me, I'm available. Okay, perfect. Well, Mike Anzalone, General Manager of the Co-op, we really appreciate you taking time to join us on this inaugural podcast. And, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on another episode and we'll talk some more about the co-op business model. But thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Randy. Absolutely. I, I always love our conversations. Absolutely, absolutely. So we appreciate you taking time to learn more about Ozark Natural Foods, the co-op, this podcast was developed to highlight a community created more than 50 years ago with a focus on the love of food that is good for us and our planet. We have plenty of stories to tell, so stay tuned for more. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and we'll see you back here soon. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Ozark Natural Foods, the co-op podcast. Whether you are new to the area and looking for a healthy grocery store, or you've been here for ages but didn't know the whole story about Ozark Natural Foods, the co-op, this podcast, is one of the best places to start. For more information about the co-op, please visit our website at onf.coop to learn more. That's onf.coop. At Ozark Natural Foods, the co-op, we mean it when we say, Keeping it local since 1971.